G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. As we get things underway and uh, talking about things personal, things professional and uh, a story that you might really be touched and inspired by, often in a conversation about growing to Christian maturity, we are in the space of discussing what we believe and how we behave in light of the Bible. Well, it's easy to think that discipleship is learning some Bible foundations and growing in character to be a follower of Christ. But our special guest today has his own personal experience and insights into the way our understanding of discipleship enhances not only our spiritual maturity, but also our skills for life and business. David Allen is an executive coach and has an amazing personal story of how he became reunited with his adopted sister. It's a story of how God prepared his heart and his skills to help turn around even his sister's connection to a cult and some new age spirituality. Well, David knows that when we talk discipleship, we're not just talking about church on Sunday but about what makes us effective kingdom builders as business and community leaders. Our special guest today is David Allen. He leads ALD Coaching. That stands for Advanced Lifestyle Development. Uh, Professionally, David's an executive coach, helping leaders in professional services to stay on top of people issues so they can create the culture and business they love. David, a special welcome along to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Uh, David, uh, you like talking about being uh, not only uh, spiritual, but also how that relates to everyday life. And you like to sort of frame that as skillful and spiritful, an interesting way to talk about that. And and I guess there's a discipleship dimension to all of that. Yeah, absolutely. I found that uh, when it comes to people understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus, it impacts every area of your life. So the more we see discipleship as holistic or a whole response in our life to Jesus Christ, the more that he's going to be filtering and showing his presence in every part of what we do. I mean, think about uh, he is the vine and we are the branch. And if we want to bear fruit that lasts, we've got to allow the life-giving sap of the vine to go into the brands and through us. And so that's got to impact everything we do and say and how we think. I'm always inspired by that example that Jesus told about the vine and the branches because uh, there's something special about the branches. Uh, if they don't bear fruit, they get cut off. And if they do mm. bear fruit, they get pruned. So in, in, in every way, somehow <laughs> or other, you're going to get, uh, you're going to get shaped and this is what you're into. You're into the, the sort of the shaping sides and, uh, you know, what stays and what goes and, you know, what's valuable and what's not. Identifying those things obviously is really important if you're talking about discipleship. Absolutely, yeah. You know, the thing for me is that when I was young, 
I had a number of mentors uh, in my life and they seemed to come along just at the right time to develop me in ways that were so impacting that's lasted through my whole life. And so, for example, one of the elders, I remember when I was just only about 18, he said, oh, would you want to learn how to witness and show your faith? So we used to go out into the Brisbane city uh, and we were scared to death, of course, you know, young 18-year-old. I remember the first time we went out, we, we sort of couldn't find a parking spot. We prayed, give us a parking spot. There was one right there. We got out, saw a young guy sitting on a seat, went up to him, shared the gospel with him, took about 45 minutes to an hour. He said, yeah, I want Jesus. And I'm thinking, really? Uh, and so he accepted Christ um, and, you know, we gave him some follow-up materials and so forth. We got in the car. I don't think the tyres hit the road on the way home. Um, it was the first experience of being out doing that and saw someone come to Christ and, wow, I thought, this is so easy. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't like that the following ones, but it was a, a great introduction for me to, uh, you know, be mentored and to, to learn how to share my faith in a, a vibrant way. So when you're talking spiritful and skillful, uh, and this is just a discipleship, uh, a even evangelism way, but discipleship's more than learning some Bible verses. And as you say, when you've got a mentor involved, You've got a real-life, living, breathing example of where you might aspire to in your Christian walk. Sometimes we don't have a good experience of that mentorship, and that might leave us actually floundering. Uh, other times we have great experiences, and, and you've obviously had a great experience with that mentorship. Yeah, I've definitely had some poor ones as well, but um, the, the good ones have made up for you know some of the damage that's been caused. And I think really when it comes to discipleship, I just can't see it being done without having someone walking with us. Uh, you look at Jesus. He says to John, John the Baptist disciples, come and see. And so he invites them. And all the time Jesus is, is uh, speaking about the need for um, spending time with him and, and working through. He throws them out in the deep end and they come back and they learn something from it. You know, he, why couldn't we cast them out? And, and so they, they're thrown in the deep and they couldn't do something. They come back and ask Jesus about the question. Uh, we see, you know, Jesus when uh, they're feeding the 5,000. Um, you know, Philip, Philip you, you give them something to eat. Well, boy, can't, how can I give them something to eat? And so you test their faith and he's continually pushing them into areas beyond their comfort zone and then debriefing with them and talking with them about what, what are you learning here, what's going on, and God shows up in those uh, learning experiences. And you have what is a personal, and I think uh, it sounds to me to be an even a beautiful story of how you've been reunited with your sister. Uh, and it's an adoption story. Take us into your story because uh, this has got some big dimensions we can explore. Yeah, it was, it's a pretty amazing how some, this for me, this is a phenomenal uh, experience. But when I was back in 2018, my second child said, Dad, when are you going to sort out your adoption history? And I said, all right. So I signed up to Ancestry DNA. And I, within a week, I found a sister uh, living in the UK. I'm living in Australia, and she's living in the UK. And after a couple of emails back and forth, we got on a video chat. And we, she talked about being in the new, a New Age healer, and she'd been in the Jehovah's Witnesses. And it was like it was a really messy story, uh, lots of abuse in her life. Uh, on drugs, um, you can name it, she was into it. And I went off that call and I said to my wife, I don't know where this is going to go. <laughs> anyway, I got in next week and, and I shared my testimony with her. 
Um, I, I think sometimes we wait too long to share our testimony with people. And the opportunity is there, why not take it? And so she asked me about my life and I shared my testimony. And something must have touched her. Um, anyway, over about six-month period, I'm talking back and forth. Uh, she actually came out here and visited me. We walked along the beach. We had lots of great conversations together. And uh, I get to, got to broach the, the subject of following Jesus and, and to get her to start reading the Gospels. Look, look at the life of Jesus. Look what he said. You know, those sort of things. It's an amazing story. And uh, what strikes me here, and I know that there'll be some listeners who'll identify with this, because when we discover people are either having a history of being immersed in what we might think is a cult, uh, or they're into this sort of new age uh, spiritual healing, we can tend to think, wow, they're so far gone, uh, maybe my testimony here isn't going to have an effect. But you've discovered otherwise. Yeah, and, and the great thing about it was, um, you know, I, she wasn't open and honest to share with me what she was thinking, so I didn't know what was going on. And it was up to God to do what God needed to do because I wasn't in her life. I was around the other side of the world. I only got to speak to her every two, hour, two hours a week. And so to see what God was doing in her life was quite phenomenal to me as I kept praying for her and praying for her eyes to be open. And there was some other interesting things too because when I was in my 20s, I, I just loved researching the Jehovah's Witnesses. And so I knew how to talk to them backwards, um, study their Bible. And so when I met with her and I told her I knew about them, she was in shock. And I was able to actually help her unwind some of the, uh, the teaching that she had in her, her understanding. And so anyway, there's a lot of things that God arranged over time in his providence to, for our conversation to bear some amazing fruit. So when God prepares our lives, he's actually skilling us for those things that he will use us in at a time when he identifies the particular identity you'll come across. And when you were uh, immersed in some of those things and uh, learning how to you know, be a biblical apologist and how to answer the things that someone in a cult might come uh, to you with, uh, in, in learning those things, you were being skilled for a time when you would connect with a particular person and this was your sister. And you recognize yeah. that as... God's divine providence, he moved you into that skill, that passion, for just such a time as being able to reach your sister. Absolutely, yeah, it was, it was amazing. And, and what had happened over time, uh, she began to realise that she'd been sold a lie, especially like looking at their false Bible um, and looking at a number of the Watchtower magazines. I was able to, to help her work through some of the information in those magazines um, so I'm, I'm quite pretty well up with a lot of things that they believe and teach, and, and so it was really easy for me to point things out to her and give her proof evidence that she could then go and research, which oftentimes they don't allow because at this stage she'd got out, but she still had all the doctrines sitting in her, in her brain and, and held her back. So when, and then then I got to talk to her about spiritual things because when I was in my 20s, I remember being involved in deliverance ministry and helping people who had been in the occult and things like that. So when I started praying for her, she actually had manifestations taking place. Wow. Um, and she had a back injury or back pain that had been there for like 17 years. It dis disappeared. Um, so there's lots of God was confirming uh, powerful things in her life that was uh, she couldn't avoid. And eventually she, she gave her life to Christ. 
uh, found a church for her in the area and she went to church and she had they had communion there and she didn't know what this communion was and so she asked someone next to her about it and they told her and then so she took it and she said that's when she felt she actually asked Jesus to come into her life at that particular point. Uh, this is an amazing story, and uh, just in our introduction, we can enlarge on this later, but some of the principles you've learned in the experience that you have in connecting with your sister and seeing her through to a salvation experience, uh, her life is now on a very different trajectory, and uh, we might even be able to explore uh, more in this area of deliverance. But when we get free from those things that have bound us, you're an executive coach and this you've been able to apply to how this functions in our professional lives as well. So how does this all connect? Well, one of the things that I do is I use psychometric assessments, and in particular I use ones that are work-related. A lot of times we have like Myers-Briggs and we have DISC and things like that, but these ones are, there's like 7,000 different job roles that have been researched, so we can match a person's traits to a specific job. And that, that means that when we get hire somebody, we hire the right person that's going to thrive, they're going to enjoy what they do, and they're going to uh, work at a, a higher level and stay longer. There's very things that most employers want. But also, you then can print a number of other reports from one 20-minute questionnaire that allows you to manage that person, to develop them, to grow them in leadership. So one of the key ones I use is called paradoxes, paradox graphs. So I'll give you an example of how this works. And this is where the skillful stuff comes in, right? So if you have someone who has high diplomacy but low frankness, they're evasive in their communication. Or a person is high frank and low diplomacy, then they're blunt. And so people don't know how they show up. But having the uh, going through an assessment process and discerning and understanding how they show up helps them to see themselves in a, a, another light and begin to work on balancing out those paradoxes so they can be more effective in their communication. That's just one example. So, so to me, as a Christian, I want to be effective in how I communicate. I want to be able to be dipl diplomatic, listen to people, be concerned and empathetic towards them, but I want to be able to be f straightforward and frank enough where I can get the message across. And getting those balances right is not always easy. We have lots of family background and things that we've learned that we don't realise we've learned them. And having some sort of data and a representation and a graph to show me where I, what, how people are experiencing me is a very helpful process of understanding what, where I need to grow. So we get to know ourselves and we get also to know what makes others tick. And that is a real positive when it comes to our communication and how we're actually... Um, having a, an influence or a part or uh, even just speaking into the lives of others in a discipleship sense. Come back to your sister for a few moments here, David, um, because your sister, when she came to Australia and had this exposure to the gospel, then she went home, back to the UK. And so when you've got this sort of long-distance discipleship uh, that you were going through as you were helping her work through some of those issues, uh, is, does distance matter anymore? Yeah, it's interesting because one of the things I did when she was here, I bought her a Bible. And uh, so that was something as a gift to her to take back, a nice study Bible. But one of the things I found is that a key element of discipleship is making sure we make people dependent on Jesus and not us. It's so easy when people say, I've got a question. How do I help, help me with my question? Oh, yeah, I want to answer. What is it? So what I, what I tended to do was, well, what have you found for yourself? 
and how have you prayed and talked to Jesus about this? And so that was my first thing that I did instead of trying to answer the question straight away. So I was looking to make her dependent on Christ. And what that meant was when I'm not around, which was most of the time, because we only met a couple of hours a week, she was able to uh, learn to grow and depend on Christ for her growth and maturity and when she studied the scriptures and so forth. So it was a really powerful way for her to, to really press into her walk with Christ. Isn't it amazing because, um, you know, you might even hear, uh, and well, while we're talking about uh, your sister and her connection to a cult, um, we have this thought, don't we, that in discipleship we're happy for people to be dependent on us. And if we were talking about the cult mentality, that dependence on people becomes very important. The Christian motivation for discipleship is ultimately to give people a dependence on Jesus, not upon us. Because if we've got people completely dependent on us, then somehow or other they might be open to manipulation. How do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, we think about the story of the ugly duckling where the swan egg somehow made it into the duck's nest. And when it was born, it imprinted on the mother duck and thought it was a duck. And so if we imprint people on us, we're going to get a very bad imitation of a disciple. And so we want to make sure we imprint people on Jesus. And there's something about when that happens, my sister is a very, very powerful Christian today. It's really amazing. You know, she's only been five years ago, but... Uh, it's incredible. She's won people to Christ. Um, they actually started planning a church together with a, with a husband who wasn't saved at the time when I when I, I connected with her as well. That's another part of the story. So it's it's been phenomenal growth take place in their lives. They've won people to Christ. Um, and like I said, her, her husband noticed a change in her life so dramatically that he started inquiring. And then I was able to talk to him and share faith with him. And he became a Christian. He's now gone to Bible college. Um, and like I said, they planted a church together in their home. And uh, he's, the kids have come to Christ. He's one his uh, best mate at work to, to Christ. Uh, his sister's come to the Lord. So, I mean, it's, it's, and part of the thing was simply putting a few tools in their hands to how to share their faith and just walking with them once a week, catching up with them and, and seeing what Jesus was doing in their life. Let me take this to this level of executive coaching because this is what you do. And so some of these sorts of discipleship skills are very useful, aren't they, uh, when you're coaching people who are in business or leading organisations, uh, just yeah. how they do that. I guess it's their motivations, it's their ethics. All of those things come back down to how our Christian discipleship works. How has that worked for you as you apply some of these things that we're talking about into your professional life? Well, this is perfect. Uh, when it comes to, to genuine coaching, what you're doing, you're not actually being like a basketball coach, giving them all the plays. You're actually asking a, ho- a whole host of open-ended questions to help them reflect through, uh, are they working within their values? Are they actually achieving the vision? Are they doing it the way God wants them to do it? Um, how are they working with people? How are they equipping and empowering versus restricting? Are they a multiplier of people's effectiveness and so there's my, my master's degree was on in, on leadership executive coaching and leadership empowerment so empowering people is a key element of, of good leadership and and really when we think about a servant leadership a good definition of servant leadership is empowering leadership because a lot of times people think of servant leadership as being a doormat but it's really how can i empower someone else to reach their potential and so in my coaching, I'm looking to empower leaders to be empowerers of their staff and, and create 
uh, a great synergistic outcomes. Is there a lack, do you think, of some of the basic skills? I mean, even as new generations are now coming through and, and there's been a lack of connection to Christian discipleship, is there a certain level of etiquette and skills, social skills that's being lost in new generations? And so when you're the boss and you've got new staff, uh, there might be more than just the professional skills for your business. How do you think that our Christian discipleship affects that, uh, that sort of focus? Yeah, I, mean, I always believe that uh, things are more caught than than taught, especially you think about children, we talk about that concept, but it's also true with adults. And as a result, there are a lot of things that people have that in their psyche and in their, their tendencies that they're not aware of. And that's why I like psychometric assessments. I've found with one session of a good debrief of a psychometric assessment, I can see people's values shift and their behaviours shift because they're not even aware that they've been doing certain things and certain tendencies that are unhelpful to them. Let's give an example, like say managing performance of staff. One of the paradoxes looks at warmth and empathy versus enforcing necessary standards. If a person's high on enforcing necessary standards but low on warmth and empathy, they're harsh. If they're high on warmth empathy and low on enforcing necessary standards, they're permissive. And so you get these unintended consequences by focusing on one more than the other. So just helping people be aware of these things and how can they actually grow and develop and, and create a better culture in their organisation that people want to be there, they want to perform at a high level and they get productivity increased and people just love it. A lot of churches do actually use some psychometric assessments, uh, usually in helping people identify their gifts uh, before God, and spiritual gifts and such things. Are there differences in psychometric assessments? Are there some that are uh, even Christian-founded? Uh, there are some that might be secular-founded. Are there differences in the sort of psychometric assessment you might choose? Yeah, well, see, the one I've been talking about is, is one for the skillful side of things because you can have a great leader who is great in their skills but lacks spiritual depth. Or you can have a, a really spiritual leader who lacks basic skills. They, they have a conflict and they don't know how to deal with it. So you need both of these elements to be effective in leadership. Now, in, when it comes to uh, one of the, the assessments I use, is, which is a spiritual one, uh, it's called GRIP+. Plus. Uh, the, the website is itowe.org, I-T-O-W-E.org. And you can just go on there and, and fill it in and do an assessment. It helps you f- discover your spiritual gifts, but also it helps you discover how your spiritual gifts work in the body. So what is your team style? What is your bodybuilding role? And how do they work together? Because one of the key things about discipleship is not only the one-on-one stuff, but it's also how they become part of the body of Christ and find their gifts and work together so that we can fulfill the Great Commission together. David, it may be one of those things that when we think about our Christian faith, it's easy to separate that which is spiritual from what happens in the marketplace when we're at work or when we're in business. But in some some ways here, I'll get your thoughts, but God wants us to grow in excellence and skill in the gifts that he's given to us. And sometimes we leave discipleship just a little short of the practical applications like that. What are your thoughts? That's so true. And in, in many ways, um, part of the reason why I do what I do, I'm very passionate about business owners and, and managers who 
they'd love to love their neighbour as they love this, uh, love themselves in their workplace, but they don't know how to. And so one of the one of the things that I do is I give them uh, a dashboard, an online dashboard, where they can give their all their all their employees a questionnaire. It takes twenty minutes, and then they can generate something like thirty different reports from that one questionnaire, whatever they need to help develop that staff member, and that that. Just by having, say, an engagement report where they can have it, sit down with them, have a discussion with them about what their needs are, uh, you know, how, what they see as important uh, and set some goals, things like that. that. They're the things that a lot of managers aren't trained in. Uh, they're thrown into the workplace. They may, maybe they're a good tradie or something and they've grown their business and now they've got to look after staff. It's a whole new ball game. And so having those sort of tools can really make a big difference in their loving their work, loving working with people and, and, and managing people, which is often one of the most sticking points that people have in business. So that's one practical way, you know, to do it. And of course, employees in a business sense are incredibly important, um, but they're people valued by the business, uh, not just a transaction that happens, you know, we pay you this money, you do this job. Because when you're talking about raising people up into positions of responsibility, there's a whole lot more to it. There's a whole lot more dimension involved. And this discipleship understanding that we have is very much a part of whether the people in your business are Christians or not, the discipleship principles still apply, don't they? Absolutely. Imagine the incongruence that occurs when you're saying you're a Christian, but you're treating them with disrespect or you're not communicating clearly or you're a poor delegator. Or there's all these things that can you can actually un, unwittingly uh, portray as a bad, a poor Christian. And so learning these skills, these practical skills, actually enhances not only your your workplace but your your home life um how you talk to your wife or your or your husband so there's so many things that it comes into in, in helping you to become a much more uh, interpersonal uh, person with uh, dealing with people in fact when you have non-christian employees there is some suggestion that your workplace if you're the christian business leader it may be the only church they ever go to. So if you don't get that discipleship for your staff right, uh, you're actually not showing a very good discipleship leadership mentality, are you? That's right. What, remember we said before, what's, uh, people? it's more what's uh, caught than taught, uh, your, how you model. And this is another key element that I like working with leaders to help them to see how they're modelling and what needs to shift so that they're modelling in a way that portrays the fragrance. Paul talks about the fragrance of Christ in everything we do. And so there's a dimension there that can really impact other people. And not only that, think about it even from a practical perspective, your reputation of your organisation. If someone leaves you in bad with a bad taste in their mouth, they're going to speak about that. So there's lots of other positive, practical things as well as you know the, the spiritual things. So... Let me ask you about Christians in business. And oftentimes when I've had a conversation about Christians in business, uh, there'll often be a caller who'll call in and say, I've had a really bad experience with Christians in business. Uh, they didn't treat me so well. They uh, they didn't uh, expect that I would you know, have my own human needs, that I'd be sensitive to, to some things, whether it's pricing or whether it's the sort of service that I've received or the follow-up service. If you don't get onto a trajectory as a Christian, you might have learned some great things for a Bible foundation, but if you don't begin to apply some 
ethics and principles and integrity into your business, then uh, you're actually a poor representation of Christ, aren't you? How does how does how do you think that works? Yeah, and this is where I think it's important to, as a business, to sit down and work out what your vision is for your business. What are your core values? And, and going through that process, and and even bringing some of the team in, the, in that on that journey with you is so important because you want buy-in from everybody. Uh, they know where you're heading, why you're heading a certain way, and you're going to see together people grow as a as a, a, a group. And those paradox graphs I mentioned before, you can plot everybody on the one set. So you can see how everyone shows up and have great discussions about uh, how we're going to work together, how we're going to work through our communication styles, look at the differences we've got. One of the things I find when you come to being a leader and working, say, with a team, we get so focused on the results the team can produce, but we forget the dynamics of the team itself. And it's important to manage that. If we can manage that effectively, you're going to create a great culture in your team and in your organisation. I think what you're touching on here uh, revolves around trust. And, uh, you know, when you've got a reputation for your business, uh, you've Mm -hmm. got trust with your clients, trust with those customers. But what you're taking this to a new level here that maybe we haven't considered so deeply is this trust that you have as a leader within your workplace. Uh, because your staff need to trust you and you need to be able to trust them. And in order to yes. do that, you've got to be on the same level of field together and understanding what's right and wrong. Yeah, exactly. And I th- think about the, the engagement report I was mentioning before. I'm, I'm bringing, I keep bringing the practical side to it because I want to show you how practical this is. So it measures four things. It looks at uh, in 18 areas between 1 and 10, how do they measure how important this is to each staff member? So, for example, they want development or they want to be appreciated. So between 1 and 10, how much do they want to be appreciated? If they've got a 10 in that area, that's important to appreciate them, right? Otherwise, they feel like they're being neglected. Then also it gives you how fulfilled they currently are. It gives you um, what their traits are that might impede or get in the way of or support what they want. And so it allows for a mutually beneficial conversation between the manager and each individual employee to sit down together and work out how can we help you meet your your, your desires. This is what I need as an employer. This is what you need as an employee. And that is just a powerful thing to remove a lot of um, things that people jump to assumptions on. And usually most assumptions are negative. And so removing those assumptions and getting a clear uh, idea of how you can work together is such a powerful way to create that culture which to me is nothing but a kingdom culture. And when you're talking about this time of year or looking to a new year now, 2024, uh, the thought that at this time of year you might be interested in a plan for what's coming in the new calendar year, you might be strategizing. this is how we're going to do things differently next year. Uh, how much of this interaction, engagement with staff starts with, listening to one another because uh, sometimes bosses are not known to be great listeners uh, they like to uh, you know they like to tell people what to do what, what about this yeah. listening thought any thoughts here well it's quite common when I'm, I'm coaching someone and I ask them well why do you need to be so forthright because you've got the last say anyway what what harm can it do for you to listen ask their opinion get it all out in the open and say look I really appreciate these ideas this is the way we are going to go anyway you know, you can still say that if you need to, but at least you've listened, you've respected them, you've got some ideas, and you maybe modified your decisions a certain amount because of what they've given you. And that's, to me, I don't see anything skin off our nose doing that. 
Okay, listening to staff, appreciating staff. Does that mean giving them gifts? Uh, can you buy the staff? Uh, you know what? You know, or if you're the staff member, can you buy favour from the boss? Uh, all sorts of things like that. How does the appreciation work? Do you think, as a Christian, uh, maybe if you're the leader, or whether you're you might be the staff member? Well, in that conversation I was mentioning before, say for example, they've got a high desire for appreciation. They've got a nine out of ten. I just simply ask them, so tell me, what does appreciation look like for you? And then they tell you what they, how they want to be appreciated. I mean, why can't we find that out without us trying to guess what they need and what their needs are? We can actually have a conversation, find out what it is and help meet that, that need that they've got. If they want to be um, more work-life balance or they want to be more informed or there's so many things, there's 18 different areas this report looks at, I can actually know what they want to what level where they're satisfied at the moment, where the gaps are, and we can sit down and have a conversation and sort it through. And, and, and the engagement automatically picks up from that moment because all of a sudden you're actually listening to them and trying to do something about it. So the staff will tell you. Uh, it's not as though they're uh, hiding it. Um, sometimes they might tell you what they think you want to hear. Uh, they might, uh, you know, how do you get around that? So let's just stay with That's that for a moment because not everybody's honest. They think, oh, the boss wants me to say this. That's what I'll yeah. say. That's the beauty of these assessments because uh, you can't, it, it has a lie detector in it. You can't get around it. So so you actually get the detail. So even, for example, one of the questions is, do you want high pay? Now, people aren't going to talk about that very easily, but it, it allows these conversations to come up to the surface because the, the questionnaire doesn't allow them to lie. It, it has, a, like I said, a lie detector in it. And it enables you to get the real information you need. Let me ask you about professional development. Because in some sense, if you're listening to people and they say, oh, we need to you know, sharpen our skills here or there, or we need more money put into this particular part of our business or our organisation. When we're talking professional development, how does that look for the Christian leader, maybe compared to what that professional development looks like to the secular uh, leader? Any any thoughts here on a bit of a contrast? Uh, well, one of the key things, of course, and one of the things that I can do is um, help them get clear on what their culture is that they want to develop. And they can, cause, because these reports are actually customizable, so we can customize it to the, the cultural desires the person wants. And I've got one particular uh, company I worked with just recently who they're really keen on having Christian values in their organisation. So we worked through and sat down and, and mapped the, the, what they want to have uh, across with these particular reports I'm talking about. And that allowed them then to assess their staff and then work with explaining the gaps and and having training that uh, in, aligned with what they want to achieve. And so obviously... You know, when it, as a Christian, we want to make sure that we are showing genuine love and care, being honest in our conversation. So these are the sort of things they talked about as part of their values. And you know, that can look differently for different cultures, but uh, it was pretty clear what they wanted and we worked on that and it really, was really effective. A good way to start off a new year, no doubt, uh, having good relationships with your uh, leaders and uh, with your staff. 
Hey, what do you do? I'll just, uh, you know, for listeners who might have their own business pursuit or aspiring to have a business pursuit or a leadership role, whether it's in your local church or it might be in a not-for-profit, it might be in any club setting even. If you're thinking about starting a new year here, David, uh, what do you do to, to maybe turn over a new leaf? You might be thinking, we're just about to wind down, but we're going to be firing up again in January. What would you do at the start of a new year if you want to start things and do things differently? Uh, for me, I, I definitely get them to revisit their vision uh, with the staff and talking about how do we um, work together uh, in this year we want to, if we want to achieve this vision that we've got, uh, reminding of why we exist, our mission. Uh, so going back to those basics in your strategic planning. So when it comes to strategic planning, you want the things that you're doing on the, on the day-to-day, the week-to-week, the month-to-month, to match the, the vision, the mission, and the values of your organisation. It's not too complicated. Um, and then uh, so one of the things, processes I tend to use is appreciative inquiry, where you look at what are the strengths, what, what can we appreciate about what happened last year, and how can we contribute and use that into the future? And so that allows you to have a positive slant uh, on the way forward and to keep maintaining the things that are working and then w- and having a look at some of the things that you need to keep, keep improving. What I think I've picked up over the years and talking to a lot of uh, Christians, business leaders, is the thought that somehow or other, because you've got this separation of what you think is sacred that happens on Sunday and you think is secular because it's, you know, it's a dog-eat-dog world in some sense when you're in the business community and uh, somehow or other you can leave your Christian ethics uh, in the church and uh, when you're back on the job on Monday, it's not always so easy to actually implement your spiritual uh, foundations into your workplace strategies. And I think this might be an issue, and I'll get your thoughts here, because sometimes we think of being faith-filled and applying those things into our workplace may disadvantage us in the workplace. Sometimes even connecting faith with profit is difficult for people because they're, you know, they're competing in a, in a, uh, you know, they want to be on the same uh, playing field as all of their competitors. What do you think difference can it make when it comes to being a person of faith in leadership and the profit of your business, uh, the mm. prayer you might employ into your organization and uh, how that might grow into the strategies for success? Any thoughts here? Yeah, I think the, the key here to me is our spiritual formation, um, making sure that we are a person of integrity, that our faith is uh, etched into the way we think and believe and behave. I, I think there's no way you can get around that. Um, sometimes it will disadvantage us, and we need to be uh, willing to ex- to accept that. The book of Hebrews talks all about uh, their land being confiscated and all sorts of things going on because they were believers. And more and more in our world, we, we are uh, at the smaller end of the spectrum when it comes to how many Christians there are in, in, in our secular society. But I think we need to stand up because, uh, as Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If we want to offer that to other people, we've got to live that out and be willing to st- stick up for th- uh, the truth. And when things go wrong, that's just part of the part and parcel. And, and I, I believe people will see through that. They see through the the the, deceit, the deceitfulness, the 
double uh, in double standards, and that it soon backfires on us if we don't live out our faith as uh, as we should. And doesn't this bring us right back to where we started our conversation about being discipled, being more mm. than just learning a few Bible foundations, but actually having that mentor, having someone mm. who is modelling the behaviours, and uh, it works so powerfully in the church setting, it works very powerfully in our business relationships too. And when we're in that marketplace and uh, battling alongside everyone else, but with this extra advantage of having a God, the creator of the universe, who is on our side, and he's the one who's shaping us in that discipleship sense. Hey, David, come back to some of these thoughts about the things that can help us. Uh, You mentioned... I to we, and that was something that uh, listeners right now could even uh, write down, I-T-O-W-E, I2we.org, as a way to discover some spiritual gifts. And I'll give listeners a way they can connect with you too, but uh, that one you mentioned, that's something that people yep. could do even today. That's right. So it's, it's only cost about 40 Australian dollars, 25 American dollars, um, and what happens is it, does, it works on five things. It helps you to get clear on your values, that's a really good exercise. It actually gives you a space to work on your own personal vision as well. So it goes through some music, some worship, and some. it helps you get into an inspired space work through that. It also helps you understand your spiritual gifts. And look at, with every spiritual gift, there's a liability. People don't think about this. So, say, for example, your gift is in leadership. Your liability might be that you will leave people behind. Uh, so there's, there's liabilities with everyone. So we need each other. It's the idea is to help us. What do I need? Who do I need in my life? And so when we work in the church in our gifting correctly, we discover we've got team styles that are different, and we also got bodybuilding roles that are different. And these triangulate. The idea of you doing this is you triangulate your gifts with your team styles and your bodybuilding roles, and you get a good grip on what your actual place is in the body. And so that's a discerning process. It's not like you just do assessment, this is what you are. It actually allows you to shift things around and pray over it. It's a really powerful tool. And some of the things that I do is I work with church teams to help them go through this together and facilitate a process of reflection and discernment. Because what happens is that they're not getting their direction by just coming up with a strategy. They're getting their direction out of who, the, how God has gifted them. God has put them together in his sovereignty. And therefore, how they're put together and the gifting they've got should be a part of God's direction in the journey for that church or for that ministry. And so that's one of the things that I find very powerful in the process. And in doing that sort of thing, you might discover that there are gifts in the group that you're a part of that really enable you to do some amazing things that you'd never thought of before in the kingdom, kingdom building and being a Christian, being a disciple, a follower of Christ. Uh, Let me just, for listeners, you might want to connect with our special guest today, David Allen. He leads ALD Coaching. That stands for Advanced Lifestyle Development. The website to connect with David, and you might have further questions. You might want to engage with David on some of these things. I'm sure he won't mind uh, for your making a personal connection, aldcoaching.com. That's aldcoaching.com. Uh, David, uh, wonderful getting your insights. Uh, One more website to mention too uh, that I think uh, might be important for some would be the australiancoachingcollective.com.au and that's uh, for people who want to connect in with, you know, how you might find 
stories of coaching and the sorts of things that have happened in various organisations that turned them around from going nowhere perhaps to going somewhere. Uh, AustralianCoachingCollective.com.au And then, of course, uh, but coming back to listeners, to connect with David directly, ALDCoaching.com. David, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us today on 2020. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.